Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This development stuff is pretty closely aligned to what I do in my day job in construction. I'm just managing people and processes. Sort of at that point, it was like a light bulb moment. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with founder and development manager of Plus Ethos, Henry Lettingham. Having worked in the commercial construction industry for 10 years, we hear about the amazing situation that he and his wife find themselves in, some of the projects he has worked on, and much, much more. We find out what a typical day looks like for Lenningham. I uh, love to get up early, so I'm up at five. I uh, grab a coffee. I live right next door to a park, so I go and um, take my coffee, sit on the steps of my house, and look out over the park because it's it's just an awesome setting to um, see a bit of a sunrise and you know get the sounds of the morning happening around me. Um, I've started journaling, so I, I sit down, do a bit of journaling work out my goals for the day, um, do some gratitude work and then I also do a bit of reading. So it's not necessarily reading um, relating to directly to property development but just more sort of personal interest stuff. Um, I then start into the day at about 6 o'clock and I focus on big tasks that I can get chunked away that are basically tasks that I call um, tasks that make my money move, money needle move. So I, I heard that phrase from someone else and it's um, basically just knuckling down on those tasks and getting them sorted before the distractions of the day come in. Uh, at nine o'clock, I kind of, um, you know, switch the phone off um, airplane mode and then make some calls to consultants or if I need to visit a, a project site, I'll duck out and have a look around site, speak to the guys. Um, and then I, uh, I love exercising and um, I'm really into uh, weight training and a bit of powerlifting as well. So uh, about mid-morning, try and get a, a weight session in and then after that, come back a bit more admin work, lunch, maybe try and read again for another half an hour and um, wind down the day with sort of some admin items that don't really need too much creativity and um yeah, shut down by about five o'clock and catch up with my partner and find out about her day and um, decompress a little bit. Lettingham fills us in on what his wife does for a career and the interesting times they find themselves in. She um, works and, and it's probably a very topical subject at the moment. She works and is currently still employed by Virgin. Um, so she's cabin crew. So we, we, yeah, we're going through a really interesting time where 
um, she just does domestic flights and um, has had some shifts, but they're, you know, maybe 10% of the amount of shifts she was getting before. And, um, yeah, we're literally just sort of rolling through day by day with the news. We found out yesterday, I think, that they've gone into administration. With all the troubles that Virgin Airline have found themselves in recently, we get an update on the impact it is having on his wife and himself. It's been very interesting. Like we um, have, we've moved in together just this year and we've essentially been living out of each other's pockets um, since the start of the year. So it's brought us closer together. Um, it's definitely hard for her and also myself not knowing you know what the next day holds in terms of her employment so um it's one of those things where it's just you play each day as it comes and um just be grateful for the things that you do have i think you know trying to predict the future and trying to um you know work out all the scenarios sometimes doesn't necessarily help in that situation so um she's studying law as well so in her last year and um yeah, looking to sort of branch out into that as well, um, which, you know, takes the pressure off the, the, um, the virgin workload, I guess. We delve further into Lettingham's background and he talks to us about what his upbringing was like. So I had um, a really lovely um, childhood and it was kind of unique in terms of um, some other people's childhoods, I guess. So I grew up um, on farms in New South Wales, northern New South Wales, around Moree and Tamworth. And when we lived down there, they were cattle and grain farms. Um, my family were farmers and, and came from uh, a long line of farmers. Um, we then moved up to central Queensland um, near a place called Longreach. So just to give a bit of an idea where that is, that's about 700 kilometres inland from Rockhampton. So it's, it's really sort of in the centre and isolated. Um, that, um, so I, I was born in the country and then at about age 10 moved up to um, central Queensland. So that brought along some, you know, awesome um, opportunities but then awesome challenges as well. Like our, our closest town um, was one hour away and that was just a very small town where there was a, a supermarket and a post office and that's about it. And then the big city, in inverted commas, that was closest to us was three hours away and that's where you'd, you'd literally, you know, plan weeks ahead to go to the big city of Longreach to stock up on all your, your food and if you needed clothes to go there. Um, so heaps of awesome experiences. Um, we had floods while we were up there, so literally got flooded into our property and couldn't get um, any food or supplies in. And when it sort of got to the point of getting a little bit, you know, desperate, um, we actually had a plane um, fly some supplies in. So we had to get out on a big paddock of ours that was really flat and um, slash all the grass down so the plane could land. Um, yeah, so many things that we experienced out there which – sort of set me up, I think, for um, life and being able to, I guess, take on any challenge that came my way because once you go through those things, everything else generally pales in comparison. Um, 
So yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Lettingham shares with us the differences between his time schooling when he was in New South Wales compared to when he moved to the remote area in Queensland. When we're in New South Wales, just going to a normal day school and um, that was awesome. But then when we moved to central Queensland, we're obviously very isolated and the school um, that was closest to us was three hours away. So we, we couldn't travel there and back in a day. So all of the kids in that area did um, school of the air. So that's what, what I did. And essentially that was where the, um, the curriculum is given to you or given to us um, and we engaged a teacher or we used to, um, I think the, the term was a governess back then, and that teacher would come and live with us on the property and Monday to Friday they would um, take us through the curriculum for the distance education school and for about one hour period each day we would um, dial in and chat with our teachers and fellow classmates but it was this is back when like there was no internet so it was um, via UHF radio so it was sort of the old you know push to talk technology and only one person could talk at a time otherwise you couldn't hear the other person um, so yeah we we had um, some pretty interesting experiences with that and you know you could go sit down in your classroom and do um, four hours worth of work and then in your lunch break jump on your motorbike and go for a ride and then be back in the classroom it was it was awesome How big was the class that he was in and did he have any siblings with him? At that time, I um, was just doing school with my brother. So we literally had sort of a a separate, um, I guess you'd call it an outbuilding or a cottage that was our our school classroom. And me and my brother would be there and our um, teacher. And we would, um, yeah, when we stepped inside that that building, that was class time. And then when we stepped out, that was, um, you know, farm fun time. And the, the school that we um, were part of that was sort of based three hours away, that was a school that was about of 300 that made up of lots of, um, you know, kids from the local farming community where everyone was isolated in, in the same position. After going through the education system as a child, we find out whether he took on further studies or jumped straight into the workforce. We... Uh, moved back by by the end of the central Queensland experience back into um, northern New South Wales and um, I finished my high schooling at a boarding school there. From that point, um, I have three brothers in my family and um, we, we all made individual decisions but sort of the consensus among us was that we didn't really want to continue the farming lifestyle. Um, it's... It's a pretty hard lifestyle and you've really got to have it in your blood to, to um, push through with it. So um, at that point, I um, wanted to continue my studies and I, I went um, to the University of New South Wales in Sydney and I studied, uh, studied um, construction management there and that um, basically set up the next phase of my life where I was, yeah, living and studying in Sydney, coming from, you know, the rural background, that was a massive change, just being in the city and surrounded by so many people and um, working out how it all it all operated was definitely interesting. Um, 
from that point, yeah, studied, uh, got my Bachelor of Construction Management and then started off on a career with a commercial builder, a tier one commercial builder. Coming up after the break, we hear more about Henry Lillingham's journey where he transitioned from commercial construction to development. I think that's why I have found it a pretty easy transition from commercial construction to um, development because all of the processes and the um, people that I speak to day to day in the construction world, it's the same. How he came across the property development Partway through that education where I was going to seminars, listening to podcasts, um, and getting some mentoring, I I stumbled on the, the world of development. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Before moving back up to Brisbane, Lettingham talks about the short period after moving back to New South Wales. I was there for about 10 years and I finished study that took about four years and then I started working for a commercial builder that was based in Sydney. Um, as I started working for them, they had a project that was based down in Jervis Bay um, and it was a project that um, needed people on site to be based on site, not in the office. So as sort of a a young um, contracts administrator back then, I I thought that was an awesome adventure to be part of. So I stuck my hand up and and volunteered to go down, be based on site. And um, yeah, that was a fantastic experience. I I essentially lived and worked down in Jervis Bay, which is about three hours south of Sydney. And my partner at the time was living in Sydney so on the weekends I'd drive back um, and, and stay in Sydney or if the weather was if it was summertime we would spend it down in Jervis Bay because if, if anyone has been down there it's like a lovely national park area with beaches that have got like super white um, sand and it's it's great in the summertime. So what, what year was that when you went down to Jervis Bay to work? That would have been um, about 2006, I think it was. Um, So yeah, spent time down there uh, about three or four years. And then I decided to move um, to a different commercial builder just to get a bit of different experience. They had an opportunity up in Brisbane and it was just a three-month contract up in Brisbane and then the idea was to come back to Sydney and I went up to Brisbane, completed the project up up here, fell in love with the city and and the lifestyle and um, they had picked up more business so I decided to put my hand up and and stay up here and then that's um, what led to, yeah, the next, you know, sort of uh, 10 years of my life, I guess. Lettingham explains some of the work and the projects he was working on for the commercial builder. There's lots of different tiers of commercial builders but I guess the easiest way to think of it is they they generally build commercial buildings. So um, it might be big distribution centres, it might be data centres, um, it might be um, restaurants, banks, gyms um, or office space and 
the work I was doing was essentially um, project management towards the um, the middle and the back end of my career with the commercial builders. So the the work involved um, our estimating team winning a project, and I would get past essentially a set of um, construction plans. Um, a budget that we had to build it for and get introduced to the client. And then from that point on, um, me and my team had to tender and procure the project. So engage all of the trades. We had to come up with a construction program that fit and met all of the client's milestones. And then we had to physically coordinate and, and construct that project and all the way keeping the client up to date and um, yeah, working with them. So there's there's lots of things that um, that I was able to have the the pleasure to build in my time in the industry. Like I I've built um, data centres for um, TV stations, gyms, banks, office spaces, um, medical centres. There's there's so much um, variety I found in that industry. It, it wasn't just sort of building the same product over and over and that's what I found that my personality really liked. I liked um, the physical sort of the tangibility that came out at the end of it. I could, you know, work on a project for X amount of months and at the end I could see and touch a, a product. Um, so that really is satisfying to me. He had essentially become a project manager and we find out how this position came about for him within the business. It's a process and it's, it's, um, it's not necessarily quick but essentially the, the common pathway is um, you, you start generally in sort of a contracts administrator or um, contracts coordinator position some companies call it. So you're essentially on the paperwork side there, you're um, keeping track of budgets, you're engaging contractors, um, managing and while at that point you may not have the experience and the knowledge on how to physically construct things, you, you're learning the paperwork, the financial um, and the administrative side. I, the pathway I took was I wanted to get out on site and experience things physically so I did a stint as a site manager. So in that essence you're kind of dealing with trades face to face you're working with them to solve problems or clashes that you come up with day to day you're focused on safety at that point as well and controlling and managing safety on site um, and then from there you can kind of switch back into a, a more office based role in um, that of like a project engineer or i went to a um, project manager and that's sort of where you essentially, you're right after, um, you know, after the client has um, engaged some of their consultants and, and given you the concept design, that's when you take over um, and bring it to fruition. So that's, I think that's why I have found it a pretty easy transition from commercial construction to um, development because all of the processes and the um, people that I speak to day to day in the construction world, it's the same. It's just a different subject matter in the development world. Now, 
you know, my chosen product is just land subdivision, but, you know, I'm still coordinating designs. I'm still managing trades. I'm still um, focused on providing the the end product in the best um, quality and also the quickest time frame. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it has been a relatively easy switch from that point of view, but then it's required a, a bit of a change in mindset um, because there's definitely different um, specialties that you need to be looking for in the two. We delve into the concept of joint ventures and what Lettingham is mainly looking for in a partner. The sort of quick um, evolution of my development is that my first development was um, my funds and a mate's fund. So we joint ventured together and um, one one of us brought the cash. That was my mate and um, I brought the serviceability. So I purchased the, the um, shared our time to manage it. From that point, oh, at that point, I was still working in my full-time job and that um, obviously... I could only borrow so much from the bank um, and there was a ceiling on that. The next evolution was discovering sort of true joint venture, no money down projects and that's where Matt Jones helped me out um, like he spoke about on, on a previous one of your episodes with his um, joint venture boot camp. So I attended one of those and really sort of, it opened my eyes that I didn't have to basically buy one property or do one project that reached the limit of my serviceability. I could, if I found other profitable projects, I could approach other people, see if they wanted to joint venture with me and and use my experience to manage that. Um, and then it would benefit, you know, myself as well as the other joint venture partner. So that really took the I guess the cap or the ceiling off my mindset at that point and from then I've evolved into um, stopping my full-time work developing full-time and you're right my, my approach at the moment is um, I essentially acquire sites partner with investors or joint venture partners and turnkey um, develop manage the whole process. His property investing journey has been a mix of developments and a buy and hold strategy. I have purchased properties to buy and hold and the I guess the full backstory of my property journey is that that's how I started in property. I I would probably say I'm a very late bloomer because you know I'm I'm 37 now and I only bought my first property when I was 33. Um, before that point, I was aware of property but wasn't educated in it um, and I, I just didn't really have a drive to investigate it. But then I, I purchased um, a PPR that I lived in. Um, that was the first property. It was um, a purchase which I thought at the time was great. It was an uneducated purchase um, and the intent for that purchase was that I would live in it, renovate it and then um, essentially get it revalued and see if there was any uplift or um, 
maybe rented out as a um, investment property as a long-term hold. Um, that because my my research and education at that point was inadequate, I um, had a very tough conversation with my accountant at the time. I sort of explained to him my strategy that I um, saw for that property, and he he had done a lot of um, property development and investment. And after I told him the nuts and bolts of it, he said, "No, look, I don't think you've selected correctly." that property is not really going to do anything for you. You know, it may be neutrally geared, but it's not really going to grow in value too much. The cash flow is not going to be great. It's essentially just going to be a, a limit or a handbrake on your portfolio and your serviceability. And for me hearing that, you know, after I'd, um, after I'd gone through the effort of purchasing it and I did a renovation on the bathroom and the kitchen and put sort of two weeks worth of, um, blood, sweat, and tears into it. That was like a slap in the face. But I sort of I mulled over it for a couple of days. What the accountant said, he was essentially saying, just offload it, sell it, and and you know select a, a better property next time. Um, so I swallowed my pride and and did that. Um, and I'm grateful that I did sort of take his advice because um, I I then started getting myself educated and it started initially as just getting educated in the buy and hold space and then partway through that education where I was going to seminars, listening to podcasts um, and getting some mentoring, I I stumbled on the, the world of development and I thought this, this development stuff is pretty closely aligned to what I do in my day job in construction. I'm just managing people and processes. Um, and then sort of at that point, it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, this is this is interesting to me. It's really exciting. But it also is me being able to leverage a skill that I have. And from that point on, it was just, yeah, focused on getting educated, tooled up and skilled up for um, development. So, yeah, it was kind of a two steps forward in property initially, one step back, and then, yeah, onwards from there. We discussed his first property and the details of what happened to it since he purchased it. Sold that and it was the right call. I, um, to give context why it was the wrong purchase, it was um, a three-bedroom unit in an old sort of six-pack, so um, garage underneath and living area up top. And I picked an area, um, it was in Cooparoo in Brisbane and at the time of purchase there was a big development down at Cooparoo um, called Cooparoo Square that was in construction and about to come online and right when I um, had finished my renovations and was going to either put my property back on the market or rent it out, um, I found out I was competing with some brand new finished apartments that were, you know, a much better location than mine. So that's that's the kind of research that I missed out on in that initial purchase and didn't sort of scope out, you know, how is my product going to compare against what else is coming online in the area. Would he consider that to be one of his worst property investing moments? I'd say that that's one of them. Um, the, the bitter pill to swallow in that one was... Um, twofold in the sense that 
you know, I had got a decision that I thought was right, I had got that wrong, um, or it just didn't align with my strategy. And then the other point was in a monetary sense, like I, I spent two weeks of physical labour um, doing the renovation and then I also piled about 20 grand worth of materials and, and fixtures and fittings into it and um, I, that was essentially for nothing. I I managed to get out of that property and sell it for essentially what I went into it with but the um, additional um, labour and, and cost I put into it wasn't realised because it was competing with a brand new product down the road. So that was a, a really um, hard but a good lesson to learn that I essentially overcapitalized on a product that no one wanted or if they did want it, they would just go and buy it new. So, inspired by Henry Lettingham's amazing property journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss the impact of COVID-19 on one of his deals. As news of the pandemic sort of spread and it gathered momentum and the, the media um, sort of hysteria built, that lender uh, essentially pulled out of their finance offer. The strategy that he has learned over time my strategy now, like after I have educated myself and, and sort of learnt from a lot of other way more knowledgeable people is that um, you need to understand the council area that you're working in. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.